0: Well hello there, you are listening to an episode of Den Discussions, in which I, Daniel James Sharp, converse with people I find interesting, and who would answer my email, on subjects that I also find interesting. These conversations are posted semi-regularly on my substack, Daniel's Den, on which, among other things, I also write and to which, of course, I heartily recommend you subscribe. Anyway, on to today's discussion. Let us begin. Okay, so as you may have read on this substack before you know that my friend jamie weir and i have had some disagreements about various things including the monarchy and uh we recently conducted in an exchange of letters on that subject um, and we thought we would do a short uh, conversation uh to discuss uh our uh to reflect upon our exchange and disagreements so uh here it is and uh, i'm going to hand over to jamie now because clearly i am (laughs) incapable of doing a coherent (laughs)
1: introduction yeah so i'm just going to plunge straight into it um rather than um rather than do any more fumbled introductions um (laughs) so, so I have a question for you to begin with. So I have a quotation here um, that I'm going to read, and I want you to tell me where you think it's from. So talking about the monarchy, and it says, let me see, where is it? The monarchy is unnecessary, burdensome, and dangerous to the liberty, safety, and public interest of the people. And that the uh, kings use their regal power and prerogative to oppress and impoverish and enslave the subject. I think I'll leave it there. What do you think? I presumably you agree with that? Uh,
0: yes I would I would I would agree with that quote. Um, but you asked me where it's from. Yes. and uh, no no doubt there's a catch here, but I'm going to say either pain or orwell.
1: I mean, uh, probably closer to pain out of the two of them. This is from Trauma. the, no, actually, this, this is this is similar, very close, the 1648 Act, um, Act uh, Abolishing the Office of the King um, that was issued by the Rump Parliament, as I said, in, in 1648. And it's, I think, the same Act that also condemns the King to execution. Um, so I just wonder, since you agree, if you are going to be signing up to puritanism, sometime soon. Mm -hmm. Um, I just thought it was an interesting... Because you you mentioned pain, um, and it sounded like something he would say, and I agree, that's what I thought when I read it the first time. Um, But it's, what, 150 years before that? So I thought it was interesting that these same arguments kind of recur over such a long period of time. Um, and this is obviously before the French Revolution as well, where you'd get very similar things said. So I thought it was an interesting foreshadowing of that, and I, I thought it would be an interesting way just to get start things off, because these are kind of the perennial accusations that are made against the monarchy, wouldn't you say?
0: Mm. So I mean, well, I mean, do you agree with that statement then?
1: Uh, I think it's I think it's partly true. I think they're certainly viewed in the like kind of long term and across different countries. I think it's certainly true that many of these accusations are the case. Um, I think this is something goes back to something that we were chatting about the other day. I remember so, and it was also a scenario that I wanted to put to you. So, bouncing off from that it's uncomfortable for me to admit it. But I think if I was in the shoes of one of these people in the, in the civil war, I mean, I think, well, first off, I I would almost certainly have been a parliamentarian. I think that's certainly where my sympathies lie. And as uncomfortable as it is for me to admit it, I think I probably would have had I been called to do so signed the King's death warrant. Um, so, even though my sympathies are obviously lie with the monarchy, there is a limit to that, and I think that's an important thing to to emphasize.
0: Well, would it would it not be better to have um, a non-violent way of deciding the question?
1: What you mean, as opposed to chopping people's heads off? Yes, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't considered that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you know, in a in a in a democratic republic, that's that's what that's what you can do. You can you can vote the person out. You don't have to have a whole civil war and rebellion over it and chop somebody's head off. You can you can you know it's it's, it's all part of the democratic game. But as soon as you set up somebody who is uh, appointed by God, which the monarch still is to this very day, yes, uh, then there is no non-violent way that you can oppose that you know you have to it has mm -hmm. to be a revolution
1: well i think that's that's somewhat remains to be remains to be seen i think so the first thing i would say is that when they do chop the king's head off they do form a republic um and it doesn't exactly go very well um granted this is the six the 1600 the 17th century so you can't expect them to have the same sensibilities as us, but in the the, the Republic, the Commonwealth de- degrades into the protectorate, and then ultimately to the restoration of the monarchy. Um, as for the replacing the head of state without violence, I think that has been done more recently. So these things well, change well, over time with the, sorry?
0: Yeah, no, well, yeah. Okay, I, I want to amend that statement because uh, yeah. that makes it sound like I'm advocating revolution if I'm anti no, 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 I know that's not true. <laughs> In the present day. Um, so, actually, actually no, I, 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 do I think... think... I do think that the monarchy can be abolished today without violent uh, revolution. Um,
1: no, no, I'm I'm sure that's the case. You don't need to convince me that you have... Uh, I think I, this is a good-faith discussion, so I know that you don't... I'm not trying to try, trick you into that. What I was actually going to say is that so in the 1650s, the monarchy caused a problem and it kind of sort of stepped outside its growing, evolving constitutional bounds and they chopped the king's head off. A hundred years later, in the Glorious Revolution, again, the monarch is kind of like straining at the edges of his constitutional limits and the king has gotten rid of, not this time so violently. And then um, I suppose an even more recent example would be Edward VIII, who's sort of ejected from the monarchy even more peacefully, so I don't. That.
0: Well, I, the think, mor- I think, just problem. as as a Sorry. historical point, I think that the uh, the the glorious revolution as a bloodless revolution is is something that uh, I think that's a bit of a myth. Um, okay. You know,
1: uh, Can you elaborate?
0: Well, Battle of the Boyne, for example.
1: Oh yeah, I mean the grotty legacy of that is is you can't deny that. Yeah it's certainly less bloody would be the better way to put it not bloodless
0: yeah but it was it was still it was still the establishment of a sectarian Protestant monarchy mm-hmm. and that required um violent conflict with um Catholics in Ireland yes so yeah no uh, it's it's not it's not I mean, it's one of the better revolutions out there, perhaps, but it's certainly the myth—the myth that we have—is is that it was a a bloodless, painless revolution, mm-hmm. whereas actually it involved a the invasion of England and B uh, the subjugation of um the Irish Catholics, and there was quite a lot of blood spilled in the course of that.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that's undeniable. I think the 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 term, like, I mean, calling it a bloodless revolution is clearly just is is obviously exaggerated. But um, I just think that that's intended to contrast it with the French Revolution, which is much more sort of un- destabilizing and bloody. Um, the the point, the only point that I was trying well, to make I, is I, I that know, things I, I become. Think... Sorry. sorry, sorry. No, no. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> I was just going to say the only thing that the point I was just trying to make is that um these these things become become less bloody over time and as as I said with Edward VIII as well an entirely unsuitable monarch and in the end he sort of like ejected ejected out um so I don't I don't think it's the case that the monarchy is is gives you this um this kind of concrete block and you can't you can't replace someone who's abusing the office without blood and and anarchy and stuff like that i don't think that's i don't think that's a sound argument today
0: well that i mean that's that's not what i was saying but
1: (laughs) no i i know what i mean to say is that um i don't mean to get rid of them to establish a republic i just mean if you have an i assumed that your point was uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong that if you have a bad monarch it's much easier and much more difficult to get rid of them than if you just had a Head of state who was elected that you could just replace easily, and I was just trying to make the point that it's not as barbaric as as you might think, or at least it doesn't need to be.
0: Well, yeah, no, it doesn't need to be. I mean, apart from it either involves um, massive bloodshed or com- you know contingent backstabbing. So long as as long as um, the right people happen to be around the monarch with as with Edward VIII. Mm. Um, I think I would prefer a more rational system whereby we could throw out somebody like Edward VIII with no blood loss, with no political scheming and manoeuvring behind the scenes, Mm. where we'd actually be more sure of ending the reign of such a person. Whereas otherwise... There is there is no legitimate democratic mechanism by which such a person can be ousted.
1: Uh, so if so, tell me then if you were so if I gave you complete authority, so you're the prime minister, you've won like a um big majority. What is your program for replacing it. Like what what would you envisage as a replacement in this country?
0: Well, I would replace it with supreme power for myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Aha. We see yeah, we see through it now. This is all Republicans, this is what they dream of.
0: <laughs> no, no, I would I would I mean I have I have no interest in being a politician at all.
1: Yeah, that's what they say as well. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it's like uh, a sort, no, of,
0: would, sort of John I would, Prescott I mean, Frankly, I would. I mean, I'd, I'd, I think, I mean, we could talk about the, the, the pros and cons of referenda, mm-hmm. but I think when it comes to something as long standing as the monarchy, that, yeah, we should have a referendum on it, or two referendums on it, or three or four. You know, it should be a long, mm-hmm. Drawn out process of deciding whether we want this institution to continue, and if we don't want it to continue, then we have to have another long drawn out process to decide what should replace it. So mm. if I was, if I was, if I was prime minister, uh, I would, I would uh, champion such a program. How you know, how, however likely that would be, but I think, I think, um, yeah, I think. The start of it is a referendum. And then we have mm-hmm. to confirm this is the wish of the people. And just to be safe, we should probably confirm thrice that it is the wish of the people. And there are three. We need, we need to have a a, a proper constitutional convention. And this, this is a process that could take decades. And I'm all for that. I think I don't see what's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if i if I had power, that's that's the process i would I would begin,
1: yeah, because uh, one of the things that one of the reasons that i i so I can see the the logical case against it, like it's obviously if you were setting up a country, I suppose this is the case with with um with the Americans. if you were setting up a country. It's not a system that you would necessarily invent a, a, a hereditary monarchy, although I suppose some countries have set up something resembling that, but but not not recently. Um, so I can see the the logical arguments against it, but what appeals most to me is the. So I first of all I don't think it's a terrible system. Like I could I could easily see myself being a republican further back in time but I think that the stage that we've reached now with a kind of a set of constitutional conventions um small c convention (laughs) um uh, a a set of kind of implicit checks and balances a a, 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 a tension between different centers of power and things that that have built and been tweaked through a long period of time I think that this, this arrangement that we've arrived at actually works quite well. And within within that system, the monarchy is is so kind of deeply entrenched. And I I, I agree that there are logical problems with it. I mean, think that's, that's without question. But I think it's changed a lot since when people think of King, uh, they think of like, I don't know, like a Shakespeare play or something like that. You think of the Middle Ages, you think of someone in armour with a crown. I think it's come a long way from now but I think that there's a reason that it is so... a kind of deeply buried almost intangible kind of emotional reason why people are so attached to it and I think part of that has to do with the deep embeddedness that it has in the history of the country. Now I agree that the role and everything like that has changed like tremendously since the middle ages and it's become this new thing and this new part of the constitution but on the one hand I think the constitution we have works very well and on the other hand I think that it gains a lot of legitimacy from this like deep embeddedness in the past so that was one thing I thought that I might ask you is that if you do your constitutional convention and you come up with a new system and things like that do you worry that it would lack the same kind of inherent um legitimacy that the constitution has now if you're removing this as part of it that people are so attached to
0: well i, I mean i don't think necessarily that I, of course i i wouldn't presume to <laughs> to dictate the result of such a convention oh, but i not. don't i don't think it would necessarily have to be a complete break from the past mm-hmm. you know we have we have a, a, a great democr- a democratic tradition in this country um and in my opinion, that has arisen out of resistance to the monarchy. So I think that abolishing the monarchy would be a culmination of that tradition. So if it if it's an argument about history and tradition and and mm. historical rootedness, then I think a republic would be the natural endpoint of that Br- Great British. Tradition, and I think a system based upon that tradition would not necessarily be. A, it wouldn't be a. It wouldn't be year zero. Um, it would be. Let's take what we have. We let's take the House of Commons, um, and the two the two chamber system. Let's take all of that and just change it slightly. Let's have an elected second chamber. And let's also have an elected head of state who can actually stand up for the principles of the constitution, such as liberty of the press, free speech, free assembly, uh, mm. which at, at the moment the, the the crown cannot do. Otherwise, it would it would it would invite otherwise that you know it would invite abolition by being overtly political. Whereas yeah. an actual elected head of state with a written constitution could say, "Actually, these uh, you know this 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 these these laws against protests, or the online safety bill, or what have you, or the hate crime mm-hmm. bill, you know these are against the constitution, and I have legitimate power by dint of being elected to the office of head of state to oppose that." I think that would be a much better system because right now we we have the the worst of both worlds. We have an undemocratically appointed, well, not even appointed, just an undemocratic head of state. And even that head of state is utterly powerless to enforce the best parts of our history and our constitution.
1: Uh, I don't think it's true that it is... um... That the king is powerless. Um, I think I've mentioned to you before. For the sake of people listening, although I'm sure that the for the sake of the listener, because <laughs> I'm sure there is only one. Um, I've mentioned to you before this. I think the, the man's name is Alan Bartlett. I think, but there is a, a play called Charles the uh, Third or King Charles the Third, and I think it was made into a BBC adaptation for TV with Tim Piggott Smith. But in that the the king, who's going to be a sort of semi fictionalized Charles III, um, refuses to assent to a bill that limits the freedom of the press. Um, and it causes this big constitutional upheaval, and everyone's like in disarray. And it's all kind of there's like political scheming in the background. Um, I won't give away the ending, um, but it's not great. Um, and so I think that one of the things that it made me think about was that. The king could object to something. You're right that it would invite the destruction of the monarchy, but I think that if it was such a... So firstly, on the one hand, you have somebody who's supposedly an embodiment of the the, the constitution and um the, the kind of embodiment of the history of this country, and they, they, they'd be told constantly, or they ought to be at least, that, they have this tremendous duty to defend this constitution that they've inherited and blah, 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 blah. Um, So on the one hand, they really ought to be prepared to sacrifice themselves and the whole institution for the sake of something that they think is wrong. On the other hand, I think that if there was something that the government was trying to do, and it was against the kind of wishes of the people in general, like if it was something unpopular that a slightly tyrannical government was trying to push through, I think in that case, the monarch could step in and say, actually, I'm not going to sign this. And they would be going along and if they had the backing of the public then they would be i think i think it would effectively work like so i think in what in one sense the the monarchy is useless if you have a sort of dictatorial public like if the public want to introduce some horrible bill um that restricts freedom of speech that's kind of like our problem there's nothing the monarch can really do then except maybe sacrifice themselves on the altar of, of whatever principle it is but on the other hand if there was an evil sort of tyrannical government that was trying to push something through that was unpopular i think in that case the monarch could act probably without too much worry of anything bouncing back on them but uh, what do you say to that
0: no i don't i don't think the monarch could in that case push back because no as, as you said as and as i said uh, the the monarch in this country has to you know is essentially the Puppet of the Prime Minister. If if and God forbid, tomorrow Rishi Sunak um proposed a law and enforced it and got it through parliament that said, Well, let's 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 put this demographic into concentration camps. What could the monarch do? Absolutely nothing.
1: Well, I think he couldn't do anything if it was if that measure was popular with the public but i'm not sure that yeah but in that case anyone could do anything with,
0: with the public it just has to be passed by parliament and with the system that we have in this country parliament is sovereign which in effect means the prime minister is sovereign yes yeah and that and that uh that power is direct that comes directly from the monarchy
1: oh that's true but i think that if if it was something that wasn't popular and as i said and your you example so the prime minister's trying to do something evil and sinister i think i mean i imagine in that scenario so the king just doesn't sign the bill it just doesn't go into law and that that must be a barrier to some level of tyranny from the executive because there would always be that nagging doubt. so You're the prime minister. You're scheming in your office. You want to do something evil, and you're constantly thinking, "What will the public think? What if he doesn't sign this? What will that like? Because that could cause, um, that could be the end of a government that was trying to do something sinister. Like, who knows what would happen? But I think that that's well, uh, having somebody. I I think we
0: do know what would happen because that happened with the with the prorogation of Parliament. Yes, Queen. The Queen knew this was unlawful actually her her advisors I think tried to even prevent her from being involved from doing that from signing that bill from signing off on it um because they knew that that would put her in a very awkward position. Yes but ultimately she had to do it. she had no choice at all. and what whatever you think of that act, the fact that the the queen was, <laughs> you know, put in this position where she had to either just uh, try and avoid committing to this act, um, or to, um, to, to to approving it, you know, it just shows that she had absolutely no say whatsoever.
1: Well, I think the two things she was, there, she was,
0: you know, Sorry. she was she was unable to do anything about it. And frankly, that doesn't fill me with confidence that in a a much more extreme situation uh, that that the monarch would be able to counteract a tyrannical prime minister or parliament. You know, I would, would, frankly, I would much rather have an elected head of state beholden to a written constitution whereby there was a rule of law that applied to everyone and a yes. set of rules that applied to everyone no matter who they were and that i think is, is something that's been demonstrated in america you know ha- however uh, <laughs> you know despite all the difficulties in america in the past <laughs> few years yes you know, there is ultimately this this um that the this set of laws above the head of state which prevented that head of state from from overturning democratic elections, and which allowed that head of state to be prosecuted. He's being prosecuted right now. Um, you know that could never happen in Britain.
1: No, well, I think I'd be. It's true. The Americans have. I think in many ways, like. Citing America as an example of this is like citing is like saying um my my grandmother's 90 and she's smoked every day of her life and she's fine, you know, it doesn't obviously it doesn't affect anyone. I mean America in many ways is like what the only really long-lived republic in the modern world. Um so I think it remains to be seen whether this kind of this this system is really um sustainable. Um and I, you know, granted, it's it it true that Trump has been prosecuted and so on. I don't want to go into the prorogation too much, because I think we've chatted about that before, and I, I, I have problems with the way that that was conducted. I think it was fairly... The two things that I would say in defence of the Queen not being involved. I did read people at the time on the kind of conservative end of the spectrum who were arguing that this is where the Queen ought to come in and be, as in European countries, a constitutional arbiter and actually should be saying, okay... This is how we can kind of proceed and bounce these things off each other. But she was very, very concerned with not being involved, which is in many ways a kind of idiosyncratic thing um, about herself. Two things I'd say about the prorogation is that, on the one hand, it's it's not the same kind of issue as the ones that we are talking about, like the really, really dangerous things that would have to be, where where you would want the, the head of state to step in and really cause a fuss and stop something. And it was also something that was really hotly contested among the electorate. So it's difficult to say which side that she ought to take in that case. So I think, I mean, if it was me, I think I'd be reluctant to intervene as well.
0: Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, an elected head of state with certain duties under a constitution, a proper constitution, would be obliged to intervene in some way, one way or the other. As opposed to it being completely at the mercy of the prime minister and the whims of, <laughs> the whims of Boris Johnson, and God help us. the availability of Queen Elizabeth II, who's, as I said, her own her own entourage, just didn't want her to get involved and 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 try to ensure that she didn't have to, <laughs> to even engage with the issue. Um. You know, un- under a proper you know, in a in a proper country, <laughs> you know, the head of state would actually have to say something about this, do something about it, and do something about it on the basis of certain constitutional principles, and I think that's a better system than the head of state running around trying to avoid <laughs> meeting Boris Johnson, however, I find. I find that, that scenario.
1: I, I agree that... Um, so my worry... Um, so I, I obviously have spent a lot of time defending the morgue. Um My worry about much of it is that as a country, I worry that we're not grown up enough for this system of government. Um, so I think the arguments that you make are all very logical and, and so on. Um, I think we could... The more the system that we have just now, if people were a little bit less, a little bit more kind of historically aware, a little bit more, um, what's the right the right expression? I mean, a little bit more understanding of the the historical context that the country exists in. Okay, they I, they would I think be more amenable to the monarch being a little bit more involved. Like it, And so I, I know it's not a perfect system. I know it's not perfect having, you know, this this family who, like, perhaps, like, fiddling a little bit around in politics, but having them there to intervene. Maybe you talk about the prorogation. Maybe just to speak to Boris behind the scenes and say, look, I don't think you should really do this. I think you should think... And actually having, like, a back and forth, discouraging him from doing it. So, so more of an intervention approach but just so performing more of the role that you would want an elected head of state to do now everyone who was on the opposite side so the queen intervenes in something everyone who disagrees with the something that she's intervening on then says this is why we shouldn't have a hereditary head of state this is why we ought to have someone elected it's terrible no one who put her there um, where does she get her authority blah 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 I think if we were all a bit more grown up and people were willing to accept this uh, kind of monarch in this position, given all the like, historical build-up and things that it's had, you, there wouldn't be that problem. And I think the monarch could then afford to be a little bit more involved, a little bit more active as a defender of the constitution, rather than having to... Like I said, I think if there was a really extreme situation, I think they could intervene, and they probably would, depending on who it was. Um, But... um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. What was I saying? Yeah so I think that um and and I was going to say finally that just I think the queen who everyone's used to because I mean can anyone even remember any other monarch the queen was particularly um concerned about not being involved i think she's just taken that from our, our grandfather george the george the Fifth. other monarchs have been much more active in being involved and breaking constitutional deadlock and like in victoria who actually like Deliberately try to avoid calling people to be the prime minister until she was backed into it, and all this kind of thing. So <laughs> some people have uh, not always, for the best, been more involved in the in the government. Um, so I think it's just where you still Elizabeth. This whole idea of the monarch doesn't get political. Um, she does it sort of in extremis.
0: So I think. Um, well, I think for one thing. If you want to have a system whereby the head of state can get involved in some ways rather than a completely inconsistent system which helps nobody, I think the way to cut through all of these tangled issues, the way to cut this Gordian knot is is to have a written constitution and elected head of state. So I think you, I think you've made my point for me these issues would not arise in such a system you know we other issues would arise to be sure but those issues wouldn't and i think that's a good start
1: i'm not convinced about the is the i'm not convinced about the idea oh so okay let me put another suggestion to you so what if the system remained exactly as it is just now but Instead of the monarchy being hereditary, what if you chose the person randomly when the last one died, just randomly drawn from the census data? What do you think about that?
0: Well, see, I think uh, you've asked me this before. I think it's it's a way out of the actual argument. Because that is not what the monarchy means in this country. The monarchy is the rule of a single family.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with it as it is. Um, and I, as I said, I would be more amenable. Like, I think it's within reason. Like, it wouldn't bother me if... So, obviously, the king has preoccupations that maybe neither of us um, agree with particularly. So my favourite one is the architecture one, which I'm fully behind him on, but that's another matter. Mm-hmm. Um, if he wants to... be a little bit more active uh, in stuff. So... Maybe we'd be more outspoken in his advice to the the government, I don't know, behind closed doors, obviously. Um, if, it, so if, it, if the Queen thought the prorogation was wrong, fine, she can intervene. Um, she can tell him, no, I'm not proroguing Parliament. Or yes, fine, that's within your right to ask me that. Even if I disagreed, that wouldn't bother me. Because ultimately, these things will be corrected maybe we'll have like an election, the government will change. That would have been the obvious solution to the prorogation stuff. You know, it's not, I don't think these things are intractable problems. I think it's it's perfectly within the, per, the, the scope of the system that we have for these things to work out. And my problem is that this system that we've had for such a long time that has slowly changed over time to the point where it is now. And I think it's very easy for us to take for granted how successful a country this is, how, I know it might not look at when you just wander around and you can't get a GP appointment or whatever, Um, but how, how much liberty people in this country, which is, I think, my main concern, how much liberty people in this country have enjoyed compared, comparatively, obviously, not to some ideal type, comparatively to other countries. And so, that's what makes me so suspicious about radical reforms. I understand that it's not Perfect, but I just worry that these things always have unintended consequences. I I don't want to do radical reform if the thing that we have just now chugs along fairly nicely and it, it doesn't um it doesn't cause major problems. And as I said, I think that as I think I said to you in the the correspondence that we had back and forth, I think it, and you've actually made this point a moment ago yourself, talking about the Republican tradition in this country, which is I agree an important and an ignored tradition. I think it's the tension between that radical Republican tradition and the kind of established uh, sort of ancient system that we have, that tension back and forth that's produced the kind of nice stable system that we have just now. Um, and I think that tension has given us like all the, the liberties and, and things that we enjoy. Um, so that that's my reason for being dubious of reforming something that I don't see has massive issues. Because um, I don't think, yeah, sorry, I'll let you pop in.
0: No, I, I, I just well, I was, I was going to say that it's, it's not a radical reform to get rid of the monarchy, but actually, then I would, I would be, uh, that would be a dishonest thing to say. I think it would be radical. <laughs> um, well, we've done it before. Will, it didn't I work. This, I will, I'll put this question. Then let me ask <laughs> the question. Um, in the United States of America, or in any other. other nation where you have something like the first amendment some of the laws some of the laws that are completely antithetical to to basic ideas of liberty could never have been passed Mm -hmm. and the reason that some of those laws have been passed in this country are because of the power Vested in parliament, i.e., the prime minister, by dint of the historical legacy of the monarchy. You, know, mm-hmm. you just could not have that in America with the First Amendment. You know, no matter what the president does, there can be no abridging of the right to freedom of speech. And, yes. Britain, we have had that for a long time. and such that that right, that basic, in my opinion, the, the most fundamental of rights could be abolished in a second. And there's not a thing that we could do about it as opposed to in a democratic Republic with a written constitution yeah that would be completely impossible so when it comes to ideas of liberty i think we're much better served by by that system than we are by this one and i don't think that's just a matter of principle i think it's a matter of what has actually been demonstrated over the past two decades or so uh you know we've we've had Laws which have curtailed speech in this country for a long time in a way that could never happen and has not happened in countries like America, where they have a real constitution which protects these rights. Yeah. So I I I I, I just don't understand where where our system upholds liberty okay I, I just well, me... don't, I, you know, it just doesn't uphold liberty it's, it's it's completely at the whim of of um, of monarchical prime ministers and cannot be opposed by nigh powerless heads of state
1: well, the American system—I mean, I, I this what you say is true. Um, first off, as I said earlier on, I think the American experience is the exception. So there have been plenty of places with constitutions that have guaranteed people all kinds of rights, and it makes no difference—they're just torn up as quickly as they're written. Um, in whatever circumstances, you know, a government sweeps in, you have some some revolution or something like that. Constitutions are just bits of paper um, and people can people can adhere to them if they want or if the public get angry and shouty enough you know they can just get torn to pieces and obviously there are barriers to this in the in the American case so I mean I, I don't know if you know what the majority needs to be to pass an amendment I'm not sure do you know Tom?
0: Um, I think it is it three quarters of congress
1: three quarters okay well um a
0: a super majority yeah
1: super super majority um and this is i think something actually i think the um lots of the american founding fathers don't get enough credit for their suspicion of democracy because of course the senate used to be appointed like the house of lords which was i think maybe maybe i was a better system i think it was appointed by the state legislatures which is maybe a better system to counteract, like if you had some crazy change in the public mood, you know, and they want to repeal um whatever right that people have, you know, if they want to rip up some bit of the constitution, at least you have some unelected barrier there that might that might stop it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that the the longevity of the American experiment remains to be seen in the long term. I think the longevity of our system is pretty self evident and i agree it's not perfect but i think as i said this this kind of tension between parliament and the crown is is i think the the reason that we have the liberties that we do have and i, I know what you're saying it's it's um it's slowly being eaten into by sinister legislation that, that's passed by the government i agree with that completely but i think that wherever you are if you have a democratic system you rely on the the public being um, behind you, like the, the public having a sense of their liberties and wanting to preserve them. I think, regardless of the system, if you don't have uh, a sort of polity that that wants that that values and wants liberty, it will just die anyway, regardless of the system. Um, but I think that ours has proven over the years, pretty pretty robust, not perfect, but comparatively quite robust, that's what I would say. I mean, you know that they, um, there's a study I can send you afterwards if you want Um, the, perhaps you know already, the, the average lifespan of a written constitution is 17 years globally, averaged across countries so America is the big exception to that.
0: But of course, it's almost impossible to define that against an unwritten constitution.
1: <laughs> I, I see, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting conundrum, actually, how you would work, but I'm, sh- well, we could, we could argue that. That's an interesting co- question, though. How would you define the longevity of an unwritten constitution? <laughs> Still, it's not very long, though, is it? 17 years?
0: Well, it's, it's long enough. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson uh, thought, that they re- thought that the constitution should be rewritten every generation, so about every 20 years. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> by, by that logic, he was he was quite right. Um,
1: yeah, maybe he was on the money after all. In in practice, if <laughs> if not in theory, yeah.
0: Although I, I mean, what, whatever the issues is with with comparing written and unwritten constitutions in terms of mathematical studies, I think I think it's a bit much to say that our constitution has been proven. By longevity compared to the American Constitution. Because if, if and, and by no means actually do I, do I even accept this, but even if we accept that, that our Constitution arose from the Glorious Revolution, there's a hundred years difference there. Historically that's not much. So you know, there's not really much between the American system and our system in terms of historical longevity. And actually, America, by historical standards, is 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 a bit long in the tooth now.
1: Yes, that. Yeah, for countries, it's a new country, but it's still quite long-lived compared to many. Yeah.
0: So yeah, so yeah, no, I I I just wanted to make that point about um yeah. I, I I yeah I don't think long long livedness is uh is is an indicator of quality necessarily but even if it is I don't think that says anything about the relative merits of of Britain and America or indeed any other country and I think if if if, if we go down that road then surely <laughs> surely the uh the Holy See, the Vatican, is 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 the greatest political system that has ever been invented.
1: Yeah, well, I have I have a Presbyterian sympathies, so you won't find me saying that. <laughs>
0: uh, you won't find me saying that either.
1: <laughs> yeah, perhaps for different reasons. Um, so, I it's not it's not. I don't mean to say just necessarily that the length that these sort of. Uh, what's the word, yeah, the longevity of the system is says that it's great. I just mean, I think we both accept that here and in the United States, we enjoy many kind of liberties, that uh, there's a, a standard of liberty and justice. I, I agree, obviously it's not perfect and it's perhaps not as good as it might be, but there's a, a standard of liberty and justice that you would, in many parts of the world, you would not find. And so I just mean to say that I'm just comp- sort of comparing systems that we like rather than systems that we don't like in terms of longevity. If, if they've long lived and horrible, then I don't necessarily <laughs> don't necessarily want them. Um, because I, for me, I think I am attached to the monarchy as a historical curiosity. And I think that it doesn't do harm. So my instinct is then um, not to get rid of it. I do think that there are benefits to it. But my main, the sort of main thrust of my argument is that that there is something of a kind of shield-like quality about it that I think it's it's had a role in forming the things that we value, that the the principles, liberties, and the freedoms and things that we value, and it's all not necessarily in and of itself, but in its tension with other things, as I said, and I think in that sense it acts as a sort of shield to those liberties even if only for from stopping someone from i think um we've talked about this before peter Hitchens has said this many times it's just even if only as a a shield to stop someone occupying that place that peak place in the country um i think that that does a lot to keep politicians in their box um
0: of of course so you see
1: the
0: that's the classic argument
1: yes yep
0: which is, actually, the other day, I think, you, you said that one of the arguments I should make more is, is, is the power invested in the Prime Minister. Yeah. by I the monarchy, and uh, I think, in return, I think that's the best argument for the monarchy, is, is the one you just made. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, Orwell also made. And, uh, yeah, I think that's an incredibly powerful argument. Not one that yes. I agree with, but a, a very powerful argument. Probably the best argument, in my view, for the monarchy.
1: I think it's refreshing. For instance, on the TV, or if you watch any kind of event, like for instance the um the oh actually yes the Remembrance Day, um sort of uh ceremonies the other week. So we're talking; it's the eleventh of November. So last weekend whenever there's an event and the prime ministers there and the kings there all the attention's on the king you know the prime minister is just like this character in the background and i think that's that's always refreshing to see um and at the remembrance day things there of course there's the lineup of all the has been prime ministers as well um and they're all like you know that they're like not not the stars of the show everything's is is about the king or the the, the royal family um so I agree. I think it is a it is a really powerful argument for me. It's it's always nice when I see on the TV, the most powerful man in the country is there and he's not the centre of attention. Um, and I think, I'm not sure if Orwell goes this far as well, but something about because the monarchy is hereditary. And I think the reason I brought up the point earlier on about what would you think if the monarch was just chosen randomly from the population is something about the unattainability of the position as well makes that role more powerful like it makes it more potent as a block to the um to the kind of ambitions of the prime minister and the the power going to his head you know it makes it more potent that that position is unattainable the the, the reason i brought up the idea what would you think if the monarch was randomly chosen not just to deflect or or anything like that but if you said to me well if i was the prime minister the reform that i would propose would be Let's retain all the trappings of the monarchy. The only thing that's not acceptable today is that this is a single family. What we're going to do is we're going to introduce a reform and the monarch will be chosen at random on the death of the previous monarch. That is something that I would find very, very hard to argue against. Like, perhaps I would be inclined to, but I would find that extremely hard to argue against, I think. Well,
0: I should should say, I, I mean, I don't think that's actually what I said. You know, I, I don't think that when Charlie Windsor dies that he sh- his successor should be chosen at random.
1: No, no, I, I, brought, I brought it up earlier as an example. Like I was saying, like, what would you think if 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 I said this was the system and you, and you were like, well, that's not the system we have, you know, it's blah, 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 it's not the system that we're discussing. So my, my point was only like, if you said to me, that would be my reform because I think it's not acceptable that it's hereditary. That I would find a really hard argument to to counter. Do um, you know, I think that's actually would be like a reasonable reform. I could, or maybe I wouldn't like it actually, but um, I think it would be difficult to argue against.
0: No, well, I mean, well, actually, yeah, to go back to that thought experiment, I, I would mm-hmm. find it slightly less objectionable if, if the head of state was chosen at random. Mm-hmm. But even then it would still you know, this this person is, is chosen and is set up as some essentially infallible head of state, and all power flows from that person. Which I yeah. think is in its essence the system that we have now. Uh there really are no checks and balances there. there there's no there are no rules beyond actually you know what beyond randomness and i think that's exactly exactly the system we have now it's, it's it's whims it's random uh whereas i would rather have a system based in the principles of a written constitution of a president who is elected by the people and can be thrown out at any time that's the sort of thing i would like to see so i wouldn't i wouldn't even want a randomly chosen head of state necessarily no, I, think, because I think in I think a think sense it. in a sense that's what we have already
1: it's yeah i mean there's, there's more of a cliqueness <laughs> yeah it's completely random of course it just depends who they pop out but it's it, it is in a sense sort of cliquier if you know what i mean because it is a family um and so it means they're in place for a long time and you know it, i don't know it, i think it's a, a little bit a little bit more objectionable that it's a family, I think.
0: But well, okay, so so do you? And to, maybe this is slightly facetious. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, I don't, I don't think that you could possibly believe that the monarch is chosen by God. To be... Uh, you don't believe
1: that? Well, I mean, it's it's a kind of meaningless statement, isn't it? To say he's like... So what you say he's like... It's just like saying... I think you brought this up in your last little comment. And your last little letter was the whole God save the king thing. To say, oh, he's chosen by God to do this. is to, is to say what? Like, he's just happens to be the random baby that comes out at that moment, you know? I think it's just a... uh. To say... I think this is probably a kind of medieval misunderstanding or medieval just um ignorance. It sort of implies that like his personality is kind of like designed, like God is behind the scenes. Um and he's like, Okay, I'm gonna give him this you know, it's like a like a I don't know, like a Dungeons and Dragons thing or something. You know, he's like, I'm gonna give him this many strength points and he's gonna have this kind of personality and then I'm gonna just post that and it'll pop out and that he'll be the king. I mean that seems ridiculous to me. But if you want to talk about it in kind of poetic terms, you could say he's like chosen by God in that in a sort of anthropic way, you know, just like he's the one who finds himself with this burden and he just has to grapple with that. It's like his cross to bear, if you know what I mean. But obviously I don't think God's like designing his personality behind the scene. Obviously, I say I see God here as an as an atheist. I see <laughs>
0: It's a very interesting way of putting it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's worthy, actually, of, of William Lane Craig, I think.
1: <laughs> now, now that I do not know how to take.
0: <laughs> now, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how I mean it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, but, I, I'm. It's, uh, it's,
0: it's not just. It's, it's. It's. I mean, that is something that is is woven in the very fabric of the monarchy. It's not, it's not, there's no two ways about it. There's no metaphorical or allegorical ways. Mm-hmm. It's, the monarch is chosen by God, quite literally. That's the whole point. <laughs> it's, you know, we, but is we might isn't we might that... have gotten rid of, of of the divine rule of kings, but actually we we still have it. And and you know you saw that during the coronation of of Charles it's, it's it's this person is chosen by God.
1: But isn't that a sort of meaningless thing to say, really? I mean, first of all, nobody believes these things anymore. Like no one. You, you say that it's like the, the divine right of kings to one side, but that that's tied up with this notion, and that he's chosen by God. I mean, nobody believes this thing anymore. That's like saying you were chosen by God to do this, to to, to take part in this discussion. Just now, it's like meaningless. I know. I don't. I, don't I, I I think. Yeah, I I doesn't it doesn't keep me awake at night. This idea that he's chosen by he's just the random man who happens to be doing it because his because of who his parents were. I don't.
0: No, you say people don't don't believe it, but on the basis of that belief however widely it may or may not be believed, um there is one church in this country and 26 bishops in the House of Lords of one yeah. not just one religion but one sect of one sect of one religion. You know these yes. these things they do they do have consequences.
1: I mean, the bishops in the House of Lords don't keep me awake at night. I mean, you know, I have no, um, that I, I, I don't, uh, that I'm an atheist, you know, and I have been. Uh, I have probably have longer provenance than you making a big deal about, uh, <laughs> about this actually, but we'll put that on one side. Um, and I certainly have no, massive sympathy for the Church of England, but the the bishops in the House of Lords don't keep me awake at night. I think that as a sort of historical curiosity, they sit there. I don't think they i don't think they make any big difference either way so i wouldn't have any great urge to 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 take them out of it um because of just sort of abstract principle i would i i don't think i know i understand the argument you're making and i sp- and it makes sense I, um i would just say that practically i don't think it makes any difference having them there i think if they did start to cause a massive amount of trouble then they could be gotten rid of um but practically i don't think it makes any difference and as an as a a a legacy of the heritage of the country in the particular way that the country's developed and its particular the particularities of its history I don't really it doesn't really bother me them being there and I suppose the same with this idea that the monarch's chosen by God I don't think it's I don't think anyone takes it literally I think it's just a a sort of expression
0: I I still think that they take they may not take it literally but it still upholds You know, an established church and the bishops in the House of Lords and whatever you may make of that, they they are you know, we ha- we have people in our government or in our legislative system that, that are there just by dint of believing in absurd things.
1: <laughs> Not a loaded question at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I just I just don't think I think doesn't keep me awake at night but it's, it's not something I particularly like and I think it's you know in in the past actually even even now you know the bishops have have you know upheld in my opinion some of the worst uh ideas that Britain has ever had you know you've got you know they they their are part the of the faith schools <laughs> and the back in the day you know they they were the the primary opposition to the decriminalization of homosexuality and why why i mean if they were elected by the people then i would still find it very disagreeable but i could accept it as as a form of democratic legitimacy but just but you know they they are they are just because they're bishops and why Frankly, I don't Sorry. think that's a, a great achievement just to be a bishop.
1: <laughs> well, you get a fancy hat. <laughs> um, that's true. So all powerful positions, I think, ought to come with a fancy hat. Um, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I think, yeah, the arguments that you make are fine. I mean, I, if you if you wanted to pass some law to get rid of the bishops from the House of Lords, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't exercise me massively. Um, I think the House of Lords is another discussion entirely, though, because I think I've mentioned to you before, I would have some sympathy with the pre-Blair reformed House of Lords with hereditary peers, or at least lots and lots of hereditary peers, um, because I think that was another interesting point of balance in the Constitution that was um, that was hollowed out by the, the Labour government in 1997. Um lots of these things i agree they they just they, they look absurd when you when you stand back at them and try and, and try and reason them out um but regardless i think this this weird system has got us to the point that we are now I and mean, we could have it could have been so much worse and you would think looking at the bizarre system that we have that it would be worse but somewhere buried in it is the the, the recipe that's given us the the, the Whatever meager success that that we've had, you know, and and I'm not denying that, as I said, the role of like the Republican tradition in that, it's a part of the tension that's given us what we have. But um, I mean, looking around the world, some of the the countries that have become, that have sort of spawned off this country and its weird legacy are some of the most successful ones. Um. So yeah, so I I think the House of Lords, that we could have a big discussion about the House of Lords. I'm sure. But I think it's just it's part of that weird mishmash constitution that just chugs along, and somehow somehow it works. I think the the interesting question is not, um, is not that it works or not. It's it's actually just like why, <laughs> and you know we could spend a lot of time puzzling that out. Well, that's probably a very unsatisfactory answer.
0: No, no, I think I think uh, that's that's a good answer, and I think in the interests of fairness, since I did fire some. Parting shots at you and your correspondence. I think that's a good place to to finish this discussion on. I'll let you have that last word.
1: Okay, maybe for a bit of fun, actually, let me finish on another more historical point. I just want to see what you what you think of this. Actually, why not?
0: Uh, you you I'll, take I'll, an I'll, advantage I'll, now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll relinquish the last word. Okay. Um. Actually, actually, two things. If you have time, so. One thing, there are obviously there's this country with its monarchy, and there are other European countries that also have monarchies. Do you think there's a, a another European country that has a monarchy, but the system works more effectively than ours? Just a just a curiosity.
0: Wait, did, could you could you repeat the question, please? Sorry.
1: Uh... No. It's, yes. Yeah, it's okay. So. Um, there are lots of other European countries that also have monarchies. Um, do you think that there's any of them that, um, that 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 function more effectively than our system? Like, could you point to another country with a monarchy and say, this is a better constitution, this monarchy functions better, or this whole constitution functions better, but it has a monarchy? What do you think? Well, yeah,
0: I mean, well, yeah, no, I, I, frankly, I, would, I think, um, and if you speak to, Republicans from these countries, they would um, still wish for the abolition of of their monarchies, but I think places like the Netherlands and uh, the Scandinavian countries that still have monarchies, I think they do function quite a lot better than we do.
1: Okay. No, that's interesting. I just, I think it's generous of you too. <laughs> to make that point so you just you just want another country's more
0: <laughs> you're right so, I just hate Britain
1: yep <laughs> yep I think we've exposed your uh, underlying biases what is it Orwell says about the people who would rather steal from the be seen stealing from the poor box than standing for God Save the King <laughs> No, I think that is a note to end on
0: yeah, I think there is some truth to that well
1: a lot of truth <laughs>
0: that no. <laughs> um, no I will say I will say just in my own defense I think the the greatest one of the greatest uh, well I suppose you could say Brits but I suppose you would have to say Englishman was a uh, good old Thomas Paine mm. and uh, of course he was just about as anti briton monarchy British monarchy as you can get mm-hmm. uh, so I' do, I don't think that a monarchy and patriotism are, are are necessarily linked i think you can be very patriotic without being a monarchist and i think that i think that is what i am
1: no i agree i think that is true i think um as you as you said this country has a an ignored but important history of republicanism and i wouldn't wish to underplay that and i don't think you need to um have any great loyalty to the house of windsor to be a patriot, so I'm I'm as always it comes back to work in pain hmm. <laughs> always always ends there although
0: um, I'd, since you uh, wanted to to make a, another point, I just wanted to mention uh, <laughs> uh, when you say you have a, a longer provenance than I do in terms of being an atheist. Uh, perfectly perfectly true and I do think that when it comes to my opinions ultimately you are to blame because you did I believe introduce me to (laughs) Richard Dawkins yes so everything everything else I've said is is downhill of that downstream of that so it's all entirely your fault
1: that is true I am the ancient constitution the mother country the mother of parliaments and you are the kind of uppity Thomas Paine kind of colonial. Um, so yeah, so I, I I'm afraid I do have to take responsibility for for that. Yeah, there's a, there is a, a good a good parallel there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, I think that's a good place to end on. Then,
1: yeah, I do. Sure. Well, that was a a really interesting discussion. So thank you for um. Thank you for following up on the the correspondence.